Hi, and welcome to That's Myrony Podcast. My name's Alicia Myronic, and I am your host and creator of this fun new concept. But first, what exactly is Myrony? Well, Myrony, or my irony, are those crazy coincidences that happen in life that you just can't explain. It's also another word for sign or synchronicity. We've all experienced these throughout our lives. But what if you started paying closer attention to your myronies? What if you started connecting the dots, or as I like to say, follow the spiritual breadcrumbs that could have an impact so big that it changes your life forever, not to mention the lives of others. Now that's myrony. Hi, welcome back to That's Myrony Podcast. I am so excited to have my next guest who is a fellow podcaster with this amazing podcast called Chaos and Cookies. And she is also uh, an Instagram coach. She does so many things. And so I just am so excited to have Heather Steinkert. Did I say that right? Yes, did you I did. Did I say it right? Okay, you I'm did. sorry. I was like, I meant to ask you, Heather, I'm like, how do you say your last name? And then I was like, shoot, I didn't do that. But anyway. <laughs> it's fine. It's very common. <laughs> so my name, Alicia Myronic, does not, it gets butchered all the time. So I'm very like conscientious about like, you know, how I say people's names. But anyway, Heather, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. And don't worry, it's a married name too. So I didn't at least grow up with it. <laughs> Bless my husband. Well, I am just so excited because I love the fact, I mean, your podcast is called Chaos and Cookies. And then you also talk about following the crumbs and the chaos. And I love it because myrony, I say you follow the spiritual breadcrumbs. And sometimes it's actually the smallest crumb by following that crumb is going to lead to the biggest impact in your life. So I'm just super excited to dive in, see what sort of myronies we come up with. Um, so many times my guests are like, I don't know what to share. And it's just through the story we start finding out. It's like, oh my goodness, how cool is that? Because in your bio, you talk about your experience of training pro athletes, SWAT members, you know, like, I'm like, okay, how did you move from that to the space you are in now? So we're just going to go back to, um, I know you're in, uh, you're in Austin, Texas now, correct? Yes, I am in Austin. We've been here about seven years. I'm from Texas originally, but we moved from Florida because I went out there to go to school. Um, so I've made my way back here and where I used to train those SWAT members that was actually out in Florida. Um, and yeah, it's a crazy story. Do you, should I just well, jump in? That's okay. So, okay. So you, 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 you grew up in Florida, um, grew up in Texas. You went to school in Florida. Is that where you met your husband? I met my husband in Florida after school. Um, there's an 18 year difference. So it's, you know, we've been together for 14 years, been married for nine this year. We have three young kids. I've got two Aww. birthdays. Uh, we're in May right now. So I've got two birthdays this week. I've got one tomorrow and one on Saturday. I've got a seven and then soon to be six-year-old and four-year-old. So, you know, oh my keep goodness. busy. So I have to ask because, you know, love has no age. Is there a myrony around how your husband met? Well, I mean, not, you know, I, so after college, I got a job right after, like right out of college. Cause I'm one of those people who was like, I need to work right when I'm, when I'm out, right. We have to pay our bills. And this is back in 20, 
well, now I should say 2007, not 20 something. Right. So 2007. So I met him through this. um, I used to host us at a, like a, it's called bamboo club. I don't even think they're in business anymore. And this group of men would always come in like every week. And I was just a hostess. I was just nice. I was just talking to him, whatever. I'm a very chatty person. And one, one of the guys walked up to me and said, you know, are you looking for a job? I'm like, well, kind of, I guess. Sure. And uh, he said that they had an opening for a receptionist position. And I'm like, that's not really what I was thinking, but I mean, I've got to have to start somewhere. So he gets me this interview and this guy, I didn't know how high up this guy was. Like he apparently was a very important person in this, in, in this company. And I was just like, oh, I would never, I was 20, you know, two at the time. I didn't know. And so I went in for the interview, not realizing I already had the job because the guy told me to go in there. Like I just, you know, so I thought the interviews were really bizarre, but I didn't, I was like, oh, I must've did really great. Come to find out it's like whoever he referred to you hire that person. Um, and so I started working, but the position was not the receptionist position. It was a like data entry person because the person that I was get like filling the position took the receptionist job. So I was like, okay, even better. So it has, you know, room for growth, all this stuff. So I start and it's very basic data entry. Um, it's a fortune 500 company and I met him. He was a sales rep there. He was always traveling. Um, and it was one of those really weird things where I was with someone, I was living with like my boyfriend at the time from college and he was still married, but he was separated. So it was like not even a thing. And then it kind of just bloomed into a friendship that bloomed into something else kind of thing. But I mean, all after divorce finalized, I move out all those things. Right. Uh, and, and it just, uh, he doesn't look his age. So I didn't know. And it was just really kind of a crazy thing. I worked there for a year and a half and I got laid off in 2008 when the recession happened and all for the better and then kind of landed into legal. So we got married in 2012 Mm-hmm. And he's, he's older. So, you know, he was like in a hurry because he didn't have children with a previous marriage. And so, um, yeah, I've got three kids, 18 months apart and two years and two days apart. So in exactly three and a half years from that. So like, wow. you know, his half birthday Saturday as well, if you want to count that. So it's, we've been busy. Oh my God. See, that is a irony, you know, like that's an incredible story, right? Because I mean, if you, if you hadn't like chosen to be like, oh yeah, I mean, cause I, I actually, I used to own a fine dining restaurant. So I know, you know, all about the restaurant industry. I know, you know, the host, the, the whole host. I mean, I started, I mean, usually in a restaurant, you, you start out in some sort of position, but it is, it's like, okay, going from hostess to receptionist, you're like, Hmm. Do I really want to do that? So the fact that you chose to do that and you kept doing this work and then everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. Now it'd be interesting to ask your husband if when he saw you, if he knew something, because a lot of what I love doing with, um, with, with this concept of myrony is looking at it from a spiritual perspective. And I love soulmates. Like I love, because usually it's like one person will recognize it he said he did. Yeah. He me? said, he's like, I saw her and I just knew it. I'm like, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got to read, you got to read the book. Only love is real by Dr. Brian Weiss. It's one of the most beautiful stories about soulmates. And he probably would really enjoy it too. It's not just for girls. Guys love this too, because guys love love too. 
And, but it's, it's such an powerful understanding of like how we have these relationships or have, how we have these connections, both in, you know, uh, our purse our, our romantic relationships, but also when it comes to family, friends, even our bad soulmates, I've come across a couple of those and, you know, <laughs> where you feel that connection and then you're like, why am I feeling this connection? Because this person is trying to like take me down in a different way, you know? Sure, so, sure. So I love that. I love that we dug into that. So, okay. There's and the first part. Yeah. And it's kind of funny too, because I think the hesitation was I wasn't going to school for that. I was going to school for exercise science and sports studies. So right. I was, I worked always, I, I'm a hard worker. I was always working, keeping busy. And so when I went to school in Florida, I went to go play soccer. I got injured and I, you know, was then wanting to kind of get into some physical therapy or personal training. And so I was personal training the SWAT team members and all those things uh, as an intern, a paid internship for my, my degree. And so I was doing that um, along with the hostess job, along with, you know, uh, working for my cousin and his trucking business, all, all these are his plant business, arranging trucks. I did it, did it all kind of thing. So it was just weird that I kind of went there and I was still working for the hit gym that I was doing that. And, um, it was just, it wasn't something I was going to school for, but I guess the irony would be the guy that referred me, we're still very, we're really good friends still. Uh, his son was in our, our ring bearer because we didn't allow kids at our, at our, not a lot of them at our wedding, but he was a ring bearer because he introduced us typically. He always takes credit, Aww. but he, he um, asked me to come and train his wife. So I would do personal training for him and the, and the, you know, the CEOs and the, and the VPs like wives. So I would go to their house and on the weekends and people now being in an office environment. I've never been in that environment. And so women are, cannot be so nice. And so coming in mm. new 22, uh, you know, all the things and I'm buddy, buddy with what I didn't know were like the VPs of this huge, huge publicly traded company, wow. not thinking anything of it. And I'm hanging out in their office and chatting it up because I know them. And people right. thought I was like judging and I was just like, I, no, like I knew them before. I had no idea. I don't, I'm not doing like playing the game. Like that's what they would say. Right. I'm like, I don't know. Just, well, I mean, unfortunately a lot of people do play that game, you know, in yeah. those environments, that dog eat dog environment. And there's a lot of, there, there are a lot of, you know, we'll just say a lot of women who will totally use whatever they can, you know, to get to where they need to get to. So, but it, it is unfortunate that we, are immediately going to kind of jump to that, but where you're just falling in, falling into this, like you're, um, as you like to say, you're crumbs in the chaos. You're just like, <laughs> your spiritual breadcrumbs are like leading you down this path because, you know, it was, it was really, truly, you know, meant to be because now you're, you've been married for, you know, uh, well, you've been together for 14 years, three kids, everything like that. Now I know, um, and I mean, that's pretty cool. You had a paid internship like that, you know, working with, working in, in your field and, you know, SWAT members. And it was so fun. It paid like crap, like, let's be real. And they oh, didn't okay. really, so it was like, it wasn't like the best job. I, I, I mean, once I got certified and had my NASM certification, I thought I could maybe make a little bit more. He didn't want to pay. It was one of those things, but it was, a, it was when hit training was becoming really, it was before CrossFit, um, but it was very CrossFit-esque. 
now that I look back on it, but I got to put, I got to work with, um, a high school football team, like this football team, they were terrible, like horrible. And I guess they invested in this program and I trained a lot of the O-line and these kids, like, of course they were, you know, I was a college girl and they, you know, the high school kids. Right. And so <laughs> I would just beat them up. I would make them run. I'd make them throw up. They would try not to, cause they were trying to like impress the girl from college. I'm like, I'm still going to make you throw up. It was really fun. The parents are actually a lot worse. They're like, he could do more. I'm like, I think he needs a breather. Like, let's give him a minute, you know? And so I'd have this one child, one, one child, one kid, he took his shirt off and threw up in the shirt. So he would throw up in the, uh, in the actual, like, he could make it. And the dad was like harder. I'm like, let's just give him a minute guys. Like he's 16. Like he's not getting the scholarship to, you know, basketball tomorrow. Um, but it was just interesting to see all the different pieces. We had SWAT members come in. So I got to put them in the sand with some, like, it was fun because I didn't have to do it. I just had to tell them what to do. You just told them what to do. So it's funny when, um, so I know we're, we're going to touch base on this in just a moment about like chronic pain and things along, like along that line. And just to, to, to carry in about this throwing, you know, working out so hard that you're about to throw up. I've had fibromyalgia since I was 18 years old and I went through a really bad period where I was in so much pain and I just literally wanted to die. And then one day it was literally the next day, the day before I was curled up in a fetal position, crying to my brother, like how I can't live like this anymore. And the next day I was at an open mic night and I saw this, um, this flyer that said, if you want to learn self-defense, you want to get in the best shape, you know, whatever, call this guy. His name was Cliff Johnson. And it was a boxing club. It was called Lef, L-E-F, Jab Boxing Club. And it was literally out of a Rocky movie. It was in like this garage. Everything was duct taped. Like, I mean, <laughs> no joke. Like nothing of high quality, you know. And the first time I worked out, he said, you know, don't drink too much water because you'll throw up. And I was like, whoa, what, what did I just get myself into? And I freaking loved it. I loved, I still love boxing. I need to find, you know, but like, that was one of, because I was like, if I'm going to be in pain, I'm going to inflict it upon myself and not let my, let my, let this thing take over. Yeah. So I want to now dive into that because I know you have been through a lot. So when you were, so you were in Florida, like when did you guys go back to Austin? We just moved here. It'll be seven years this year. So okay. I was in Florida for 11. I, I, I grew up playing soccer. I was a ballet dancer and I played violin. I was always a very active kid. I have perfect attendance from kindergarten to senior year. Yes, I do. Oh. I have the certificate to prove it. Such, that's like a, that's a great thing. Right. But I have to say like, when you have kids, it's almost a fault because like, if my kid has to miss school, I have anxiety, like they can't miss school. Like, no, but I need to remember, like, it's not normal to not miss a day of school. <laughs> like, yeah. That is like massive overachiever there on like the my sister too. It's just the, what was ingrained in us as kids. Like we just didn't miss school. School was very important. Like I, I my poor son, I, I let him go to school. And of course I had to go pick him up later and I should not. And I'm like, it's kindergarten, Heather. It's kindergarten. He can miss a day of kindergarten. It's so sick. <laughs> sick to the point where you weren't able to go to school for an entire 12 years. Like that's crazy. Like, I mean, good for you, but 
Yeah. Never, never miss unless it was for an excused absence or for like a, you know, a sporting event that I was in. Um, yeah, I don't. And at the very end of my senior year, uh, I got very sick. Actually, I got bronchitis and laryngitis. It was very, very bad. And I told I had two weeks left of my senior year. And I said to my mom, I'm going. And she's like, no, you're not. You're not going to school. I'm like, oh, I'm going. I got two weeks left. Like, I'm not blowing it now. <laughs> oh, my God. That's funny. That's really funny. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, that's it's so I was always active and do I was just that person that was always busy and doing something. So I was very, very I was always playing on soccer four teams at once. And so Oh my goodness. Never broke a bone in my body. Never had a problem. I had eye surgery when I was five for like a muscle, like the, like the floating eye. I had my wisdom teeth pulled and someone stepped on my shoulder where I just kind of like sprained it. Nothing crazy. So I never experienced that. And so when I went to Florida to go play for university of Tampa, it's a private school. It's a D two school, division two. I wanted to be able to start. I didn't want to go play for a D one and sit on the bench for a couple of years and get like 10 minutes. I really wanted to play. And so when I went out there, we did preseason and we would push to two and three a days, sometimes four. And I never did weight training. I only did running or whatever. And I, I weight trained a little bit the summer leading up to try and make sure I got the times that they wanted us to have, um, and train that way. And so when I went, I pulled a groin muscle one day in preseason. This is before school started. We got to come two weeks before school actually started to get into the dorms. And I pulled a groin muscle. I had to take a couple of days off. And when I went back, my back just started hurting so much. Like, the pain was just, I was so confused. I was like, what is this pain? It's going down my leg. I couldn't really stand up very well. I'm 18. I'm in the best shape ever. And, um, it was so weird. And I ended up having to not get to play. Like I go out there just to play. I, when I could have stayed, you know, local in Texas and, um, decided to stay, I was going to transfer, but it ends up that, uh, they took x-rays when I went back to, cause I would go home for, for Christmas and Thanksgiving and things like that. And I went home at Thanksgiving, they took some x-rays and they saw that I have what's called spondylolisthesis, which is a uh, slippage of the vertebrae. But the spondy part was because I had stress fractures. Oh. I had two and it looks like a Scotty dog on an x-ray. So it's got, um, like a collar and then like ears. Uh-huh. And so I had those, which is what was so painful. And they typically see those in football players because of the head spikes for the tackling and gymnastics, just because of just the crazy bending and, and, and stuff that they do. And I did, I did gymnastics for like, I'm talking like a month or two, so it couldn't have been that. And so the only thing I could think of was either maybe too much heading, like with the ball. Oh yeah. Um, or it's genetic. And now they're saying it's probably genetic. I had it, but just didn't know it. And I exacerbated it so much that it came out finally, Uh because I had the back of a 40 year old at 18. That's what Mm. they compared the injury to. And they're like, how you haven't had this problem is crazy to me. So I, um, went that whole summer. I went through spring, spring semester, came home for, to Houston. I did, um, an injection. Of course they try to get you to do injections first before they do surgery, but this is back when they put you out for this, for the injections. And this is also prior to MRSA and staff and testing for it too. Like this is back in 2004 at this point. 
And the guy was, had me on the table. I was already put out for the shot and he was looking for my x-rays. This is what I've told. Of course, I'm not, I'm like completely, this is all third party at this point. And he was like, where's this girl's x-rays? And they're like, these are her x-rays. And he's like, no, these are some 40 year old dudes x-rays. Like where's hers. And like, no, that's, those are hers. He's like, well, what's she doing on my table? Like, this isn't going to do anything for her. Like, why on earth is she here? She needs to go and get that fixed. So it was kind of a bummer because they give you 10 days of grace to be like, Oh, give it 10 days to kick in. And so I'm sitting there not knowing any of this information, but you know, after day 10, I was really bummed that nothing happened. And then they tell me this. I'm like, well, dang, like, why don't you just tell me? So I ended up going into surgery. They um, had to fuse my spine, uh, my L5 and my S1, which is the lowest uh, lumbar vertebrae to your, basically your pelvic, you know, joint. And they were supposed to go through the front too, to give me some arch. And they were also supposed to use some bone to fuse it because bone grows on bone uh, from my hip. So I was expecting to like, wake up with all of these incisions and pain. And when I wake up, I only have one incision. So I thought that was really confusing. And they're like, oh, we had enough in the bone bank in cadaver. So we didn't have to take it. And we didn't go through the front because we didn't want to cut you up too much because you're 18, 19. I'm like, okay, not knowing any better. Um, about three to four weeks after that surgery, I... I I also found out I was allergic to morphine. Um, they were giving me morphine drip and, uh, for the pain. And I was just so sick. And, uh, so they had to, now it's Demerol I have to have, but I found that out, but it, I actually say Demerol is way better than morphine anyway. I, 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 I have so many, I have so many stories, bad myronic stories, I guess you'd say that we, we have quite a few similarities of like crazy things that have happened in our, yeah. I mean, who would have known that morphine you would have been allergic to, I mean, it would, it it was like instantaneous allergic. Like I, like they pumped it, it went in. I just, I puked everywhere. It was very instantaneous and they couldn't figure it out. And so they were like, Oh, this must be an allergy. I'm like, Oh, good. Great. Is there an alternative you could give me? Cause I'm really hurting. Um, but about four weeks after that, I went home, I started trying to recoup. I had drop foot. I had all the, all the things I started throwing up again. And I'm like, I don't understand why I'm so sick. So they take me in and he, um, touched just my incision. I, I I passed out. Apparently just dropped to the floor. I woke up on the floor. Of course, after having spinal surgery, you don't want someone just hitting the ground. Oh my God. Just instant. I don't remember anything. I just remember waking up on the ground and they're like, Oh, that's not good. We need to take you in for emergency surgery. You have an infection of some sort. So of course I have to go back in and this is right in the summer before sophomore year. Again, I'm sick in the head when it comes to missing school. Like I can't miss school. I start school very soon. I need to get back for my sophomore year and not taking a year off. And, um, they take me in and they're trying to grow the culture or whatnot. And this is before MRSA. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't figure out it was a strain of staff, but I didn't know what it was. They finally figured it out. I went home on IV meds and I had to do IV meds for two weeks at home with a home IV. And I had to go to infectious disease doctor, all the fun stuff. And I got my IV out two days before I had to go back to Florida for my sophomore year. And my dad flew me out and he drove my car to Florida. So I would have it and picked me up from the airport and I did not know that I'm susceptible to a staph infection. This is before they could test, but it makes super, it it makes sense because that was my second one. I had one my freshman year. 
of college on my face. I got an infection. It looked like really bad acne, but it started to spread. It was impetigo. And it was because I shared a room with a basketball player at the time. And we were in and out of the locker room and I might've had a scratch on my face or something and it just spread. So that was the second one. And they didn't know because I didn't know. So now they have to test every time I have some sort of surgery so they can prevent it. Thank oh God they can, because that stuff can kill you, right? Like I go to the nurse's office with the stuff on my face. Like, I don't really know what this is. Literally the doctor like was looking at, I think she was talking to the receptionist. She looks up and she's like, you back. I'm like, huh? Like you just told me there was an hour wait. She's like back now. I'm like, okay. And she's like, opened up this book, showed me like this baby poor thing with, with it all. And then she's like, this is what you have. I'm like, Oh, oh, like, oh, oh, and she's like, you know, like it's very contagious. Like that's why you're here. All these things. I'm like, oh, oh awesome. So then they told me that that's what that was. I was like, huh? Cause I couldn't see it. Um, so anyway, I go through the, you know, luckily because I was still on roster technically they had to, they paid for my surgery, like secondary. So we, we didn't have to pay for the surgery and they had to, they got to handle my, um, my physical therapy once cleared, um, Thanksgiving time at that point. So they did my physical therapy. And so I was still in like the soccer world, but it was really hard to watch. Oh, can I ask what position did you play? I was a, I was known as a universal player or a utility oh, so player. You could play any position. So I played everywhere. Like it's if, funny. I played, I, I played soccer for many years until it, it got to the point where it was, it was so competitive. And I also was in I played the flute. I sang. I did, you know, student government. You know, like try yeah, to do all the it things. all. Yeah, yeah. The- theater, drama, and I'm like, what the heck was I thinking? Trying to do all that and and soccer was niche down. Niche down. I was kidding. <laughs> soccer was the one thing. I was like, no, I I'm not loving this anymore. I gotta let it go. But it was so funny because I'm I I write you know, with my right hand, but I learned to kick lefty. So I could, I was a universal player too, where I could play anything because there weren't as many lefties. <laughs> yeah. We had, I had to get really strong with my left hand, my left foot, because I had a high school on my high school soccer varsity coach had this crazy theory. It, ugh, she was a little, she was out there. Um, she liked to adopt the things that the national team were playing. Like she liked zone defense. I'm like, you play man to man people. Like you don't play zone, but that's fine. She liked the one touch clear out the back. So when I was playing defense, anyone that was a sweeper or a fullback had to one touch clear it out or you got subbed out of the game and you oh couldn't play. So I had to learn real fast. If the, if the ball came to my left foot and I had to clear it out, I better get oh, really wow. good at it. So I was able to cross with my left cross with my right. And so I was outside mid, mostly outside mid and forward. Cause I was a pretty strong scorer but I would also play sweeper because I was very fast, which I do miss my speed. That was my, my like selling point to this team is I could take the ball all the way up to try and score from sweeper position. And then if I lost it, I would be able to catch pretty much anybody. And so I was in really great shape. It was really hard not to be able to play. It was like forced oh, retirement. It was really yeah, hard for me. That's so that's it's still so hard. Different. I don't like to watch it. I can't like, I, I love, I want to play still, but I know like, you know, you really can't, but well, um, a bigger purpose came out of this. So what, so you were, so you go back to school and I mean, you're 
technically on the team, but you're not able really to do much. I would have. Well, my schedule was around the soccer team for freshman year. So like it was really hard to be in class and they weren't there because they were a, a soccer game. And so it was like one of those things and all of my friends or the, you know, I was also in sports um, science. So all of them were with athletes. So I was still in that plugged in. Um, so I finished school with an exercise science degree and I played, so, uh, we played intramurals. I, I played intramurals. I was never pain-free after the first surgery because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. He was, he was supposed to go through the front, give me the arch, um, you know, Oh, that's awful. Cause it gave me flat back after it, um, grew together. It didn't give me the arch I needed. So it actually didn't really fix much. <clears throat> so I was in a lot of chronic pain and with all of the complications, I just was like, I'm not doing it again. I'm over it kind of thing. Like I, yeah. I just don't want to deal. Um, cause it was just really difficult. Plus I was in school. So I was doing a lot of it by myself. And when I, when I was in school, I graduated with this degree and I really wanted to get, but we did an intramural soccer. I was like, I'm playing intramural soccer. So all the, all the girl players that got injured throughout their career in either they came in and they used to play or they were former members of the team, bad knees, bad back. One, one girl had to stop because she kept getting um, concussions. So we just oh, like geez. ran the table. Yeah. So we were like all the like geriatric people that just have all the injuries. We just would just mop the floor with everyone and they would just say like, it wasn't fair, but it's like, we don't play for the school. So, I mean, but we were just really good because we had scholarships there. And so it, we just formed our own team. And You're just like, uh, what is it? You know, the, uh, the Island of misfit toys. You're like the, the yeah. soccer player <laughs> misfit injuries or something. Yeah. It's like, you can't play this way. Like, oh, I can't have the ball. Cause I, I, you know, have, have a concussion issue. <laughs> so we would just run the table. It was really fun. I mean, it was Aww. no fun for the other teams, obviously, cause we just get, like killed them. But, um, I mean, it was fun. I mean, that's, we're competitive. And well, so that's a, it was that's, a good... a, that's a great story. So, so, okay. So, I mean, dealing with chronic pain like that, especially at that age, and I, I can actually relate on a different level because um, I, I believe I was predisposed to fibromyalgia. My grandmother had polymyalgia, which was like mm. clusters of pain. And for those that don't know what fibromyalgia is, it's, um, it's basically like these trigger points in your body. They're like pressure points, but they're hypersensitive. For myself, for some reason, they were hyper, hyper, hypersensitive. And so like when I get a flare up, it's like shooting, stabbing, burning pain, mm -hmm. forcing through my body the last normally six to eight hours. Sometimes I'd have to go to the ER to get like literally loaded up with every painkiller possible. I mean, just really severe pain. And mine was triggered from a car accident I was in when I was 17. Hmm. And when I went to school and it was crazy because the first time um, I went to school, I'm originally from New Jersey. I went to school at University of Delaware and it was, it, I remember the first time it rained for like four days and I couldn't get out of bed. Oh, like, what the heck is going on? And then it got to a point and I was always, um, I cannot sit in those little hard wooden chairs, you know, like no, school. no. So no. Like, I ended up being on the American disabilities act and, you know, being able to be given special chairs and being given permission to drive and all this. I mean, it took me, <laughs> my poor parents were paying out of state tuition. It took me like seven and a half years to finally get through school because I would, I would get through it. And then I'd have to drop out because the pain was, Oh, that's much. such a bummer. And, 
yeah, it was, you know, I mean, just part of the story, whatever. I just feel bad that my, my education <laughs> as much as it did for, you know, I got my degree in hotel restaurant management, but what's, um, but it was so crazy because, um, I remember one day it was like, I was going from one class in those hard wooden chairs to another class in those hard wooden chairs. And my body just gave out. And I couldn't even walk up the stairs to my dorm. My, my mm-hmm. dorm was like, um, it was like almost like a motel. It was kind of like an outside, but it was pretty cool actually. Oh, but I see. It had like, um, like they balconies had, and stuff. Yeah. They had balconies. Yeah. We had one of those squads. too. It was the best. Yeah. And we were on the, we loved level, ours. It so. just got knocked down. We were so sad because it was such a, trash place but it was so like good like because it was just old you know oh these were new so oh you got the new one they were like lofted so you could build these lofts and create these sitting area I mean it was awesome but I could not walk up the stairs so I'm like crawling up the stairs and just being like what is wrong with me and um it took I was very lucky I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia pretty quickly the first time um I went to the doctor um, it wasn't the doctor I was supposed to see. It was this um, this other person. And he said, I was like, why do my hands hurt? I play the flute and I, I, I feel like it's arthritic. And this was his dumb response. He's like, it's because you were holding the steering wheel too tight when you, at the point of impact. I was like, it makes absolutely no sense. But then it was, I was so lucky because so many people have this and there's different degrees and, you know, there's a lot of things like, you don't look like you're in pain. I'm one of those people who never, no, people never understand the level of pain that I'm in. Like I haven't gone without a day of pain and oh God, I've had it for 25 years now. Yeah, you know? it's hard. It's mentally it though, but that's a mental space you have to go, right? Exactly. Like you put yourself in that space because you have to function. Like yeah. with, and, and if you're not, like I wasn't taking medication. I took like, I, I would have my Vicodin. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. I couldn't live without. I mean, I had my Vicodin, but I would take it a couple days and then it wouldn't work. And I'd have to keep taking more. And I was like, I'm not going there. I'm not doing it. So I would just kind of suffer, but I would take it with me. If I like had to go on a plane ride, I'd have to build in an extra day just to be able to like recoup. I couldn't take long hikes. I couldn't sit in the car for a long time. You mentioned the um, school chairs. So for me, after surgery, the first one, you weren't allowed to sit for more than 10 minutes at a time. Oh my God. So I had to go sit in the back of the room and not try to be a distraction right, and luckily, you stand up and yeah, every 10 minutes during class. But luckily I think what helps is that I was an exercise science major. So all of my coach, all of them are either coaches or doctors or some sort of anatomy. So they so got they under, it. So they understood it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because two years in, we had a class and one of my real good guy friends, he was a baseball player, had the same surgery I did. And it's oh. funny because he dropped weight just like I'd, I dropped 30 pounds in a month. because of how sick I was like in muscle mass and everything. Like I was literally a size six and I went down to a double zero to where pants were falling off, like at a double zero. And it wasn't like, it was gross. It was just very skeletal. It was just, and going from really great shape, like 135 pounds to a hundred pounds, like literally at, at 18, 19, it was just, it, it was, and then, but when you lose weight that fast, it comes on quite quickly. So once you feel better, so, but I saw him do it and he started standing up every 10 minutes and I didn't know that he had surgery. And I'm like, did you, he's like, yeah, I just had a fusion. I'm like, Oh, that explains like, you can come stand in the back with me. 
think we could just time it together. Um, but it was just, um, it was hard to go through that because people didn't understand people don't it. don't understand it. That's the one thing. Like, so when I actually listened to, and we'll get into your, your amazing podcast, Chaos and Cookies, but when I listened to, I, I guess it was your first or second episode where you share about your story. And I was like, oh my goodness, like I, I need to have you on because- um, not that I didn't want to have you on it, yeah, yeah, no, no. but, but it's just that people don't understand chronic pain unless they've gone through it. They just, no. they cannot wrap it around their head, what that really is. And like, you know, I was lucky with fibromyalgia. It was really funny. Somebody, um, this doctor finally was like, I believe you have this. And, and this was called, considered the disease of the nineties because mm. before it was being really like all psychosomatic. And he gives me this little pamphlet. And it, it literally said, if it feels, if you feel like you've been hit by a Mack truck when you wake up in the morning, no joke. That's like what it said. Maybe a little bit different, but pretty close to that. I was like, yeah, that's kind of like what it is. But I would sleep like 12, 14 hours a day because of this. I mean, you're just, you, you can't, can't get function. out. No. So I, I chose the other route. I was, you know, using alcohol and anything to try to just kill the pain because the painkillers wouldn't work. The drugs. I would mix it. I'd be like at a, oh, a yeah. really long night. My husband would give me a Vicodin and I'd be like, give me a glass of wine. It's just going to help me go to sleep. I, this is prior to children. I'm just going to just put that disclaimer out. This is before we had children. I would never, ever, ever do that. But if I was in so much pain, I would just be like, I would be, I would be driving or anything. I would just be sitting and I'm like, I just need to numb out. I'd be sitting on a heating pad and just let me just. Well, let me share travel. with you what happened. Um, it was after, so everything that happened in my life, um, that the crazy story that literally, I mean, um, anybody who's listening that hasn't listened to this podcast, cause your listeners brought, came on Heather. If you listen to my first episode, um, it, it'll explain where all this came from. But I, I basically, I had this restaurant, it went bankrupt, um, in 2008. Um, I went through some really traumatic things during that time. And so when I thought my body, when I thought I was finally going to get a break from everything that happened, my body literally gave out. And within the first year I was running on the treadmill, I hit my heel wrong and developed something called reflex sympathetic dystrophy. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with that or not. Mm -hmm. And I just found out I had a friend on who was telling me that they consider that like the suicide like syndrome because it's so painful. I was like, oh my God, I guess her husband had it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, cause it was, it was in my left foot and it felt like somebody was cutting or burning me all the time. And I was in a walking boot for nine months. They first thought that I broke my foot, but this was what was crazy is that they told me I needed to get this nerve block done. Well, with fibromyalgia, anytime I get lidocaine injection, it would literally flare my system up. So I'm on, it, it kind of reminds me of what you were trying to do with this injection. I'm on an operating table to get this giant needle, you know, put into my back. And it wasn't the prick of the needle. It was the pressure of the needle that one of my trigger points decided to feel like a vice around me and start crushing me. Mm. And within, and I knew something was wrong within two days. Now, <laughs> this is why I'm bringing the story because you're going to laugh at this because you think wine with a Vicodin, two bottles of wine, 13 Percocets in three hours before going wow. to the ER. <laughs> wow. That's, I would be. Dead off. <laughs> I don't even well, know. Just... 
I actually was, I was in that much pain and the doctors are like, they're like yelling at me. Like you could have killed your liver. I was like, I don't care. Yeah, that's exactly what could have happened. (laughs) I was in so much pain. And then I ended up getting addicted to 120 milligrams of Oxycontin. I can see that that level of pain. And then I, I, I got to the point where it was like, you are either going to rehab or you're getting off of this. And so I, I, I got myself off of it over. Amazing. I, that's why I was always so cautious about it because I got hooked on, um, the sleeping pills. Um, uh, what's the one that, Ambien? yeah, that oh. stuff's messed up. Cause I couldn't sleep after this first one. I, I drank so heavily one time. Take Ambien. I mean, I should not be alive on so many levels, but I feel like I'm alive so I can share these stories. Yeah. These really crazy stories so that, you know, our listeners, maybe they can connect to it too and not feel so alone because when, when we're in that, and, and especially at, you know, you were 18, I was 18. No you one know. was experiencing those things. And so, you know, but the fact that you didn't let it, you know, you didn't, you didn't go down the dark road like I did, but I no, I can see myself out of it. I can see how someone could, I guess I just recognize that the reason I had ambience because after my first surgery with all the complications, I had drop foot, I had really bad nerve pain still after he supposedly like fixed it and I couldn't sleep. And at, and it was still, I wasn't even in school yet. I was still in recovery mode, but my doctor prescribed me Ambien. It was a prescription and I took it and they tell you when you take it to go straight to bed, of course, not knowing I'm like, eh, whatever I took it. And I, wa- I was watching TV on the couch and that stuff makes you hallucinate. Like that stuff is crazy. Like I couldn't, well, if you, body... yeah, if you, if you try to stay up with it, yeah. It, it, it's, it's well, I didn't know it was my first time trip. ever. Yeah. It was like, and I don't, I was never, I never did drugs or anything like that. I was always oh. just playing. So I never done, I never smoked weed. I never did that stuff. I was always playing soccer and I was really trying really hard to keep it. I never was even exposed. I was very sheltered. I think I just, just didn't hang out with that crowd until I even know people drank until college. I was like, you guys drank in high school. Like wouldn't you, I'm such a rule follower too. I'm like, Oh my God, it's so, I know I'm not like prissy person. Uh, They were playing like beer pong and like quarters. I'm like, what is this? They're like, where are you from? Like, you don't, like, I don't know what this game is. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm like, oh, this is okay. As an athlete, you really do commit to what it is that you're. Yeah. But that's the funny part. I went to a party, like after I graduated high school, I went to, it was a football player's house and I was just hanging out with some of those people and they're all, they're all on scholarship to go to university of Texas. And like some of them play pro now they were drinking. And I'm like, that was like a normal thing. And I'm like, oh, actually, now that I think about it, I had a friend who was in, uh, who, who was from Texas and he was the, um, he was the quarterback of the football. And I guess it was a good high school football team. And then he, he told me about some of the parties and I'm like, heck did you play crazy parties and they were the ones that were doing the drugs I was so sheltered I'm like oh my gosh like how how are your parents I don't know that's just me but it's a whole different thing like um but I so I that was just eye-opening to me when I went to I was like okay this is I gotta go I don't want to get in trouble I'm so afraid like you should be afraid we haven't even gotten to college yet, but, um, I took the ambient thing and I got like, had to get carried up the stairs about my parents' house recovering. And I just remember sitting there and I was telling my mom, I'm like, I can't, 
I can't like close my eyes. I'm so tired, but I can't, I see monster. It was literally the walls came to life. Oh my God. Yeah. And you, it you, was, you had a, you but had a, you know, it's not real though. That's the thing. Like, at least for me, like I was sitting there, like knowing it wasn't real. I knew it was a medication messing with me, but I just was like, and my mom was like, just close your eyes. It'll go away. And I'm like, I'm so scared, but I know it's not real. It was bizarre. And then after talking to others, it was like, oh my gosh, I took that once. And there was a man standing in the corner, but I knew that the man wasn't real, but the man was standing in the corner (laughs) and there was like ocean above him or something. And he knew that wasn't real, but it just trips you out. And I never experienced that. So I was like, I could never do drugs. I got a crazy story about Ambien. If you want to hear it, the first time I took Ambien, crazy um, stuff, people, if you're on Ambien, go find a different place. Well, that's what, but see, for me, I'm not encouraging Ambien. I mean, back then, highly addictive too. I was, well, I see, I wasn't ever addicted to it either, but it was whatever. It's also what your body can handle, you know? And so like, um, when I went, when (laughs) this is a crazy story, I don't know if you want to hear it, but it's myrony, right? So, um, I, the first time I ever took Ambien, I had just had a lidocaine, lidocaine injection done in one of my trigger points and I had a flare up and it was so bad. And I was, and, uh, my, my boyfriend at the time, um, he, he had just, there was this tragic accident that happened where his uncle was just killed in this motorcycle accident and it was horrible. And so we're going down to this, to this funeral and I should not have gone <laughs> first time really bad it was actually I met some of his family for the first time and it was just like I'm this really like physical mess you know just and I was just drinking 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 just trying to kill the pain anything anything that I had and um and finally they um uh the the his his aunt was like you know she should try an ambient and because she was given all this stuff because it was her husband that this just happened to. And this, this is where it was really funny because I apparently take this and I somehow go to sleep and I put my arms across like I look like I'm dead. Like <laughs> I'm so peaceful that apparently he kept coming in to make sure I was still alive. He never smoked a day in his life. Like that day he picked up a cigarette. <laughs> oh, he's so stressed out. So again, funny story, not encouraging any of this listeners. It's just, you know, these are their stories. We got to tell our story. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I think weaning yourself off. So for, for me, like how it became addictive is when, like when I went to college for my sophomore year, I had to study. I still had to keep up. And if I was, I still had all that nerve pain and I would sit there till two, three in the morning trying to sleep. And I would just be like, oh my gosh, I just got to succumb to it and just take it. Cause I've got class. Right. And so trying to wean yourself off of just getting some sleep at that point that, uh-huh. and that was very difficult for me. And I mean, luckily, I mean, that's the only thing I think my body got hooked on. Like my mind wasn't there. Like I need this, but my body was telling me like, you're not going to get to sleep unless you do it. Right. And it was like one of those things. So I don't know. Cause I've never, you know, been into that, which I'm very lucky. I know lots of people that have, you know, been affected by that. It's, it's actually, I mean, like what I went through, like I have so much empathy for anybody that goes, they, they don't understand that when you choose that, because you feel like you really don't have any other option because the pain is so bad 
But then you can also look at it from a, you know, uh, a personal mental level, like you're in so much pain, you just need to escape, you know, so people don't understand where addiction really comes from, again, until you kind of go through it, you know, sort of thing. But so do you still have the really horrible nerve pain now? So I, I live, so I, because of all the crazy stuff I went through in that time, the weight loss, the, it's at the sickness, the devil hospitalization, all those things. I just was like, I'm just going to figure it out and deal with it. And as I, so that I was 18, 19, when this all started, I met my husband when I was 22, I wasn't really working out very much. Cause I just wasn't in the greatest. I tried to a little bit, but it, I had to be very careful about what I did. And so I was in pain up until I will be It'll be four years in September this year. Um, I live, so my husband met me not knowing anything but me being in pain because he didn't know me. And he also didn't see me go through that too. So like the understanding wasn't there. So he couldn't understand why I wouldn't go and explore surgery or go and explore something again, because he didn't really experience it. He heard about it. My mom and dad were like, you're not getting no surgery. Like they were even like, they're like, I don't get it. I'm like, you just, it was just not good. And, um, I would go and see doctors every time I'd have real bad flare ups to to be like, Oh my gosh, like this is just, it sucks. I gotta go figure this out. And every doctor would either, just give me like hand me a prescription uh-huh. or if I need to go and get a refill. Cause I would only take my Vicodin if I was going on a trip or for very emergency purposes. So I would just have it. I mean, to the point where it expire and they would just be like, how much do you have left? I'm like, literally I've got a whole bottle, but it expired. Can you get me a new one? Cause they knew I just didn't abuse it. So they didn't have a problem. And every doctor, I went to probably five or six different doctors in Florida and no one, I even went to the top spinal surgeon. Um, my friend who played baseball at university of Tampa, his dad was this renowned surgeon there. And I went to him and he even was like, it's not really much I can do for you. I mean, maybe another surgery. So they did the whole, like, um, this, they had to take like an MRI with like contrast where they put the needle in your spine and they put the dye and they put you on the table and they move you back and forth to get it to go. I was, that was so painful for me to sit there. It was hell. And then you got to sit on your back for hours. So you don't leak. And it was a whole day. It was traumatic. My husband was with me. Had It was just a whole thing. And I was like, never doing that again. Nope. 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 Like if someone needs to do surgery on me, they're going to have to figure it out. I'm not doing that again. Cause that's that was, how I felt no. about the nerve block. The nerve block was so painful. You, that and prednisone, I will never take prednisone or I will never take mm-hmm. a, a nerve block. Those two things almost killed me. So yeah. Like, like I my, just my yeah, nerves no. for some reason just flared up to a point where, you know, and like for like a month straight where it was, it was horrible. Like, I said yeah. to my husband, I said, I will take back surgery and everything I went through before I do that again, because it yeah. was that painful. And he was like, what? I'm like, I can't. So I never did one of those again, even if they wanted me to. So I just gave up hope for the most part. Then we started having kids and I was like, once we're done having kids, I'll re-explore it because I don't want to go and do something and then not then mess it up. Right. Cause right. having a baby carrying it's Oh, and I can't I, even imagine how I don't have any kids. And I was like, I always felt like, I'm like, I don't even know how I 
can have kids. I'm, I'm in too much pain as it is. Like, you know, you you'll know. be surprised to be honest. Um, I am a petite person. I'm five foot one. I'm typically about at 120, 130 at the heaviest. I do now know, like if I creep up to 130, like I've got to do something to lose some weight because the pressure just it's on the spine, mm-hmm. it, it just, it's just so you can feel it. And, um, my mom asked the doctor when I first had my first surgery before I, before I even had it, she asked if I could carry children and I was 18. Okay. I was not even thinking about children at that point. Again, goody two shoes here. So I didn't even like think about that stuff either. So let's just be real here. I was that person, like the girl that's sheltered. Um, <laughs> but it's like, uh, you know, she asked that question. I'm like, that's so stupid. Like, why would like, mom, really? Like, why are you asking? Makes sense. She was thinking about that in my future. I appreciate her asking that now. Um, right. But I had, was able to carry my three kids. Honestly, it didn't. I was in so much pain already. I couldn't tell a difference. Right, right. It didn't exacerbate it, Uh you know, and I was able to take a half of Vicodin if I had to, I tried very hard not to. And so I just was really careful. Um, And so when we moved to Austin, I just, it got so bad that I was just like, I've got to figure out something. And I would go, I went and saw three different doctors when I got here. Cause I was like Florida people, and I was going to go to my old doctor Cause I didn't know that he messed it up. Like I still thought like it was just me and he didn't really mess it up. He just didn't do what he should have done. And he, I understand why he did it. Cause I was, he didn't want to give me was, a lot of cuts. Yeah, you were so young and he thought that it would be okay this way. So he didn't do it in any sort of, no, not at all. Yeah. And he was still practicing and he had done surgeries on other people. The thing is, is like with my, with my spinal, uh, with my scar, it was super thick at the bottom yeah. after the, the uh, infection. So it was really ugly and not I'm a vain person. It was just very ugly. And yeah. it, and when doctors would see that after surge, um, babies, like they were trying to put an epidural and they would get freaked out. They're like, uh, and I'm like, Nope, you can do it. I've had an epidural before you can do it. I swear like it works. I, you can do it. I have faith in you. So I was able to get those, but it freaked them out. So I went to a couple of doctors here. One, it's never good when you go in and then they come in like five minutes later with no, with no films after you've taken films. Like it's never, never a good look like, Oh, they were turning me down. They were saying like, we can't help you. Oh my God. I'm like, what do you mean? You can't help me. Like, we don't even know what we would do with you. Like, we don't even know how you're talking to us right now. Like, how are you physically speaking? Because the amount of pain that you must be in. So basically over the years, my, cause the spin- spinalosthesis is basically the slippage of the vertebrae. So when you fuse something, all the load goes above it. So then that's your point of flexion. So if you have a weak spine or spinal condition, which is hereditary, my mom has her- herniated disc syndrome. Um, it now will create friction there and it'll create sliding of the, of the level above, right. Which is what was happening. Wear and tear on that disc above the fusion. Oh my God. So basically what had happened by the time I went there, which was, I was 33. Um, and I had my first surgery when I was 19, um, 13 years later, there's zero disc left between the L4 and my L5 and it slipped halfway. So I'm like, my spine is completely out of line and it's rubbing on each other. So he's like, how you're bone on bone. You're not on any medication. 
and you're speaking in full sentences and you've lived like this for 13 years. Like, I don't understand. Like, I don't know what I could do for you because I don't want to mess it up. So they didn't want the liability. And so he came in and he's like, listen, I can't. And he even admitted, he's like, I don't say no to surgery. Like, that's how I make my money. He's an orthopedic surgeon. Like they're very quick to cut. And I, you know, in him, I was very appreciative of him because he was like, I could take your surgery. I could do this and be whatever, but I can't help you. But here's someone I think that you should go see. And he referred me to Dr. Kuhn, shout out to you, Craig Kuhn's um, spinal uh, surgeon. And he was here in Austin and I went to go see him and he looked at it and he's like, this is what I would do. Boom, boom, boom. I can help you. We would have to go through the front. And that's where I got bummed because I've had three kids vaginally, not C-section. And I was like, oh, you're going to cut my stomach. And I never, oh my gosh. And it's this way. It's up and down. I'm so stupid. But, you know, it was like, no. Um, But he, you know, he's like, I can buy you an extra five years on top of the 15 that I can get you to fix it. But he didn't, if the doctor would have gone through the front, he would have maybe not had to do it. What ended up happening is because he didn't go through the front to put the uh, wedge in for like the disc to give me the arch back. He gave me flat back. So they had to go in and put that in to give me my arch, which was what was creating so much pain. Right. And right. so I was like, okay, I'm going to do it next summer. And this was August <laughs> of, cause my, I just had a baby. I just had oh, my third okay. baby. He was born. And so he was only three months old. At yeah. The time. So there's the last thing you can do is surgery and not be able to take care of. I wanted baby. a nurse. I wanted to right. be able to nurse my child without being on all that medication. Cause I didn't know if that was going to be a thing because of the nightmare last time. And he's like, Go, okay, well, I'll say, I guess I'll see you next summer. Cause I thought to myself, Oh, I don't want to be nursing. I won't be nursing him in a year he can write. But then I was like, that's stupid. Why would I want three under four walking and running around in diapers? Like that's stupid too. So maybe I should think about putting, like having it while he's young. Cause I could put, he was three months old and uh, the other two were diapers. And I'm like, maybe that's better. And deductible was covered. Cause I just had a baby. So I was like, I didn't really think about that. So after I was able to talk to the doctor about, yes, you can still nurse. You just have to be like super careful on like when you take your meds and this, that, and the other, just, you don't want it to affect the baby, whatever, right. um, that kind of thing. So I decided to have it done that September, October, um, I just couldn't live in the pain anymore. And of course I choose to do it when my son is four months old, four months sleep regression that happens that at that age where they get up every hour for nursing. That was fun. So my husband had to get up and take the baby, bring the baby. Like I still pumped in the, I pumped in the hospital after I had back surgery. It was a whole whole thing. And when you pump your uterus contracts, which is why you can lose weight a little quicker. Your stomach goes down a little more, but when you have an incision on your stomach and you're pumping very, very painful, that would be very painful. (laughs) But I have to say, um, when I woke up, I felt instantly better. I, I had like some pain, but from the surgery, um, they didn't tell me till about two months after my surgery that I guess the surgeon came out to talk to my husband after the surgery was done. He had said that that was his most difficult surgery to date. Wow. <laughs> I was like, why? And he's like, well, they said it was because 
first they had to saw off all the old stuff, like the heads off of the old screws and back them out. Cause they didn't have the tools to take out my old stuff because back then they didn't have e-filing. So when they went to go get my records, it was all paper in a warehouse. They were, they didn't transfer them like they were supposed to. So they just guessed like what brand was, what it was. Cause they didn't know. And so then he had to get like almost on top of me to like get my spine like steady. Like I had a very loose spine. He's like, you, you just wouldn't sit still. So it took an extra two hours. Like it's a six and a half hour surgery. They said four. I was like, it's going to be six and a half. Just that was the last one. So oh. he was like seriously exhausted after my surgery. Cause I wanted him first thing that morning. He had to cancel his other surgeries that day. Cause he was just too tired. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, geez. Oh. Yeah. Right. And so um, I was like, well, thanks for telling me that after I was done. But I was like that patient for him where he's like, I don't know how you're talking to me. I don't know how you have this back injury when you're 33 years old. Um, you're it's just weird. Like, I don't know how you are even talking now. When I woke up, I'm like, I'm just sore. He's like, you would say that like you weirdo. <laughs> like, What's wrong with you? So he tested me before staph infection. Right. So I didn't get a staph infection. He's like, I leave drains in for three days, not two. It, it severely decreased. So he knew all of my stuff and yeah. it was night and day. And I was so mad at myself for not exploring it sooner because I was instantly better. But then again, it's like, it's that time where I found him. Yeah, and, exactly. Exactly. And, and now I've been for the most part, pain-free for the past three, I was able to work out and run. I got into my health and wellness background. Um, again, I, I know where, that's a gonna, you know, get into, because I mean, you got such, I'm like, how are you working out if you're in that much? Pain? Well, he so actually I'm liked so happy it to hear that you're not yeah. in that kind of pain. Anymore. And he asked what I was doing. I got into faster rate of fat loss, mainly just because I needed something to do. Cause I'm still also working. I'm working for a legal company too. Um, I got into that. I was able to use my degree, but when every time I'd go back to my doctor for the checkup, he'd be like, you've had no movement. And with the loosey goosey spine you have, I'm surprised that you haven't shifted at all. And he's like, whatever you're doing, you need to keep doing. And it's just the core work that I was doing with the workouts. And then he's like, give me some flyers because I have people that need to lose some weight before I can even think about putting them under for surgery. And so He's like, whatever you're doing, don't stop. And he just released me from his care last year, which was like breaking up with somebody, by the way, like I've never not had to go to a back doctor. And he's like, well, you don't need to come to me anymore unless you start having pain. And I'm like, wait, huh? Like, are you breaking up with me? He's like, Aww. what? I'm like, well, I don't understand. He's like, you can come see me if you need to, but you don't like, I don't need to keep taking x-rays of you every year. And like, oh, that's so wonderful. So he broke up with me last year. <laughs> well, I'm happy he broke up with you because you know, that means you, you, you've really healed yourself. And it, I even have a crazy irony about how pain. Um, so when my body gave out and I developed this reflex sympathetic dystrophy, I was a walking boot for nine months. I then, you know, deal with this Oxycontin addiction. I get myself off of that. My reproductive system decided to just quit on me. Oh. I was 32 years old and I started, you know, not to be graphic, but I literally just started gushing blood. And I was like, I found out I had severe fibroids. Mm. Um, had to, I ended up, I, it, it's a long story. Well, complicated story, but I ended up having two blood transfusions, lost half my, half my blood, and then had a full hysterectomy uh, when I turned 33. Mm -hmm. And, but it was crazy because the person that was kind of like my 
like truly like I feel like my guardian angel on earth who he actually had worked in a fibromyalgia clinic. And so he was the only person without fibromyalgia that actually understood it. But the irony is, is that when I was going through this massive amount of pain, I always went to chiropractic. Chiropractic was the only thing that seemed to work. And the person I asked, I was like, do you know any chiropractors? Because I had moved recently to this new area. And he wasn't a chiropractor. He was actually a physical therapist. But he had this expertise in this counter-strain therapy that helped my fibromyalgia greatly. But when I first went and saw him, it was when I was still in this massive flare-up from this nerve block. And he told me, he's like, if I touch you, you're going back to the ER. And so it was like, I was given like all this like saving grace of like, you're not making this up. You're not making this worse than it is, you know, that sort of thing. But he told me, he said, you know, this may be the best thing for you because once your body knows, maybe it's your body's way of saying it doesn't want to pass this on. And I swear the next day I woke up, you know, I mean, I was on whatever, um, yeah. I guess it was allotted actually not Demerol, um, but whatever, super heavy, you know, and I was like, I feel so much better. But the thing is, is that I still get, so where mine was chronic, like literally somebody could touch my back wrong and I'd hit the ground, that sort of nerve pain. So like, I totally understand that now I still can get those flare-ups, but it's not chronic. So the first time I got a flare-up, it was even worse. And it put me back in the ER because I forgot how bad the pain was. <laughs> right. That's the pro That's also fearful. So like I've been living without pain for so long where all you know is pain. And then you get to that point where it's like, or it's from like, a, let's just say one to 10 and you're like a 10. Right. And you're at like a one that that's not, that's great. Right. But that's not normal. And then it becomes your new normal. So then what ends up happening, like for me, like when it rains or it gets super cold, yes. arthritis is a real thing. And some days my incision on the front, like sometimes it feels like it just happened because it just the nerve, if it just gets rubbed the wrong way, but like, like for instance, today it's raining. So I'm a little like I'm achy and it just doesn't feel good. And it's also because I'm a small person and these screws and rods are really large. So sometimes I'll get some muscle inflammation from it just because it's just getting hit. But when you get pain similar to what you used to have, you get into this like almost depressed state where you're like, Oh my God, is it happening again? Yeah. Oh my God. Like, is there something wrong? And it, and I've gone to the doctor getting x-rays and he's like, no, you're, you're okay. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just making sure that nothing slipped or something wasn't wrong because it's starting to mimic what it used to be when it's just maybe a flare up or I did something like maybe I, the kids, my kids jumped on me. They know they're not supposed to hang on me without any type of warning. Cause I could throw me out a little bit. Yeah, and, no, absolutely. Yeah. But it's I, really I, it's awful mentally. Like if you just feel a little bit and I can deal with a little bit of, you know, arthritis, but it gets really dark. Like yeah. you get really worried and you get really uh, upset. Right. Well, there's, I don't know if you've ever heard of, I actually was just pulling it up my friend, Cassie Clayton, she does a whole bunch of things, but she has, she's also a rep for something called Beamer. Have you heard of Beamer? Uh -uh. It's uh, bioelectromagnetic energy regulation. And um, she says it really helps with pain, chronic pain. And I'm going to, she's actually in Texas too. Well, she's in Dallas. 
but oh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I will connect you guys. Cause I'm just like, this could be something that when you're, when you are having those, you know, the arthritis and all that, because you, you, your poor body has been through so much, but I'm so glad to hear that you're not in that kind of pain. I know we yeah. went into a totally different direction. I think it was really important to have this conversation because so many people don't realize, especially if they're in it, you know, it's like, there really are others that understand it where we're here as each other's support, you know, it, it is really, it can feel really lonely. And, you know, it's like, it's, it, it's it, also exhausting because if you're trying to block exhausting. the pain, you're trying to block the pain physically, mentally, and also function as a human being without coming off as a, you know, what, like, or I'm sitting and resting. I might look lazy. I might be yeah. coming off as a lazy person because I'm not doing something that I should. And I try to explain to my kids, like, I can't do this with you right now. And that was really hard being a mom yeah, and having pain and people would judge. Cause I had, my husband tra- traveled every month, every week of the month almost. And so he wasn't until COVID, like he had never been really here longer than a month. And that's after a baby was born. Um, so I had help. And so people were like, Oh, you know, you don't, I'm like, I can't physically give my children baths more Thank than a day goodness, in a row. You had the financial yeah. ability to be able to have help because otherwise you, yes, you would not be able to do this on your own. And no you know, like, and, and that's where people, you know, one of the biggest things I, I hope to, you know, bring this greater awareness is like looking from a place of compassion, no matter what it is, because you have no idea until you're in somebody else's shoes, what they're going through. But when I heard what you went through, I really felt, even though it was a, on a different level, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my goodness, I understand what this, what you've gone through. And I wanted, you know, just anytime you need some support, I'm here Aww. for you, girl. You know, I love you. Thank you. <laughs> and it's you. hard too when you're at that age because you, when you go through pain so early, but you look on the outside very oh, put yeah. together, people don't get it. So I had like a handicap pass, like Me sticker. Too. And I, I would too. get I had to my handicap placard yeah. and people would get, and I would get out and people would be like, looking at you like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. That's yours. Oh, you're just breaking. Oh, yeah. You don't know. And it's like, <laughs> and, and, it, and it's like, I didn't renew it. it. Mine just expired. And it's nice. It's nice to have, right? Especially when I was in school, I got to park right outside the dorms back door. So that was really. Oh, me too. That's how I was yeah. able to get to school. That's how I, without that, I never would have been able to get around camp. And I'm, I was so used to having it. And now I'm like, oh, I can't park there. Cause my kids were like, Hey, I'm like, I can't park there. I'm not going to take up the space for someone that actually needs it, but I would use it. And people just look at you funny and they give you dirty looks. And if I was in like a, you know, mood, I'd be like, do you, is there something that you'd like to say? Like, uh, I'm like, you know, they're like, uh, I'm like, I had back surgery. So if you'd like me to show you, I can, like, I was just like, very, like, really, I'm not going to limp just to look like I have a gimp kind of thing. Like, I'm not going to look, look quote unquote handicapped to make you feel better about me using and taking up a handicap space. Like you have no idea what I've been through. And just because I physically don't look like I have a handicap doesn't mean that I'm not. So it was so, you know, it's infuriating. Can you tell it's a hot button, but you know, you know, people judge you based off how you look and what you go through. And yes, I'm 36 years old. So people are just like, you're very confident and did it. I'm like, I have been through a lot. Yeah. So, and it's you great just that you, know. and it's so wonderful that you have this this platform with your voice now. And so let's uh, let's dive into how you 
came up with chaos and cookies and we're going to give a big shout out to michelle abraham of Woo-hoo. amplify you who is both <laughs> our uh, podcasting producer and she's amazing her team is i can't even uh if you either if you haven't heard how i met michelle you have to listen to episode four it's the okay. most ironic story ever and you'll have to tell me it. because you'll be like oh my god how did that happen it's like that's divine irony of like how we get brought together. And yeah, know, Michelle, like, Michelle's awesome. I met her through oh. someone and, and we, yeah, just met someone when I was out what, right at the beginning of my like business. Yeah. So how long have you had? Cause I, I know you have like, um, like a book and I mean, you're like, from what I, from what I see, it seems like you're super organized and you, you have all these systems and, and stuff when it comes to kids. And so so chaos and cookies, actually the podcast has only been out since this past October. So mm-hmm. you know, here we are in May of 2021. So October of 2020. So you had your business before you did your podcast or did you like do the podcast and your business? No, really I had, I had the business. So I, I just reached a year from like conception, I guess, of, um, Congratulations. Chaos and cookies. Yeah. Thank you. So basically what was, what was the year anniversary? I'm so curious. I love, well, I guess it depends. Like in January was the first time I did something with it, but, um, I just reached like the LLC, like when I f- physically filed it. So, I mean, I don't know, right. Like which one counts. Right. Like, I had a name, I had an idea. I went to LA and did my, um, my positioning video with, um, inspired living with Carrie Murphy and they started helping me build my brand. So that was all built by the time August ish happened to then I could start the podcast. So it was like, I did a lot of things kind of backwards. Um, but I've had the, the company for a year I guess. Um, but I've pivoted quite a bit. The idea came from after I got out of legal sales, cause I wanted to stay home with the kids and it was just getting too hard with my husband, uh, traveling all the time. And we had some things with my kids that I needed some extra attention. Um, I started fast way to fat loss, which was just an at home. Oh, I'm fit- sorry. What is it called again? I can never catch what oh, the name faster is. way. So F A S T cause it's intermittent fasting. So faster oh. way to fat loss. And it's, it's just a a virtual program where there's no like shakes and like no products. It's literally whole food, nutrition, intermittent fasting, and like carb cycling with some, with some workouts. And so it was, um, with low impact and things. So it was something that I was interested in doing something I could do from home. It's an actual certification that I could keep my NASM certification up to date because it's like a CCE. And, um, I got into that. But then I was working with these women and these men that had these other issues. And so I was like, you know, I really want to branch out a little bit more. Um, I wanted to give a tool for kind of people like me where if I needed help, because I was having nanny after nanny after nanny, good help is so hard to find, but having to retrain them or tell them moving parts. And if I'm like in a lot of pain, because this is back when I had, um, you know, I was just thinking about that. Like when I was in pain, I had to like retrain. It would be so nice to just have something to like direct them to like, it's on page four, go, or this is what you need to do or whatever to have routine. Um, And so I was like, what if I put that all together? And so it, I created the chaos control system, which is that book. And I love that. That is so cool. (laughs) Yeah. and, And people don't think about it. They're like, Oh, cause there's a manual for your car. It's a manual for your TV. There's a manual. There's no, what, what if you had like a manual for your life 
for your home. It doesn't come with your children, but if you could put everything about them, their schedule, their teacher, like who can pick them up behavior that they exhibit before you drop them off somewhere on if it's normal or not, because kids are manipulative and they'll try to get away with murder. Uh, if it's like someone else dropping them off, you can give them a heads up, like, no, no, don't let them get away with that kind of thing. Like very yeah. detailed. If anyone were to actually utilize it properly. And also with my like doomsday mind, when my husband would travel, I'm like, what if his plane crashes? What if he gets hit by a car? What if he gets mugged in New York when he's in there? Like whatever the case may be, what if he gets sick and dies? I mean, who knows? You never know. It's like, what would I do without all this other information? Right. And I'm a very self-sufficient person. I like when any, like a plumber would come to the house or an electrician, it was like, you gotta go talk to her. Like she knows where all the stuff is in the house. She's the one who changes the air filters. Cause I'm the one that's home. Right. I don't want to call someone to do it. I want to be able to know how my home functions because I need to be able to decipher whether it's something I need to call someone for, or I can wait till my husband gets back from his trip to fix or whatever. Um, so I've learned a lot about that. And so just giving the tools for that to happen. And so or then COVID happened, dads were having to stay home and doing more with the kids at home. So it's like, now what? And a lot of the women that I was working with had children with uh, disabilities. And oh, okay. there's a lot of things that go, like I had a son, my, my oldest son didn't talk to who was four and a half. We did a lot of therapy, like uh, speech therapy. We've come to find out it was just him being stubborn and didn't want to, but you know what? You don't know this first child, you know, you have nothing to compare it to. So when you have a child with severe disability, the, your, the mom typically will take care of that child. But if the other children are now home, virtually learning, dad has to now step in and fill that void that maybe he knows, but doesn't know because mom did it is that was mom's job. So it was like giving some like, okay, here's the schedule. This is what happens. Here's all the answers to the questions that you're going to ask me. And if you don't know it, just ask kind of thing. Like, stop asking me a million. Like, where's this? Where's that? What do I do? It's like, it's all right here, honey. Yeah, no, that, that's just, that's absolutely brilliant. So then when did you know that you wanted to do your podcast? I wanted to do a podcast early on because blogging seems very time consuming and I didn't know how to really do the whole WordPress stuff. Um, I've now come to figure it out because I teach quick and easy tricks on technical because things. You literally will figure out anything. We've already, yeah. we've already um, established you are beyond the overachiever. Everything <laughs> that happens in your life. Built, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so Built that in. is why you had to have this like almost organized chaos because your life was so chaotic that if you didn't have this organization, it probably would have like really kind of put you over the edge. I, I mean, I know you know, when you have things that you cannot control, it's like what you, what you can control, you do your best to control it. Yeah. And I think once I got super busy, cause I have my business and I also work for three other companies, <laughs> like I'm a freelance person. So I have a, a lot of, and I'm work from home. I got my kids, all this. So it's like, I'm very hypervigilant. I don't wait. Like if I need something done, I want it done now, or I'll do it myself. I don't like I mean, we had this conversation before we hopped on. It's like, really? Um, But I also know how to release uh, control on like, if it's done at this time, I'm fine. But um, just becoming a little bit more self-sufficient and having a system in place because uh, a lot of my clients that have found this um, 
parenting side of things. Cause that's what I started to do. Then I pivoted to Instagram because I was marketing it so much on Instagram than everyone in faster way. A lot of the coaches that were starting businesses were like, how are you doing this? I need help. So it turned into that yeah. type of situation, but all uh, uh, under the umbrella of being simple, simplifying, I'm a simplifier. So um, making it more productive and making it smarter, not harder. So you can get more stuff done. Cause I work at a very different pace than most people. Uh, it doesn't come naturally. And so trying to teach that is hard for me because I have to slow it down, break it down, but um, having something for that. So an SOP, a, stand, a standard operating procedure for your home. I mean, everyone else has one for their business. So when I am on a podcast and they need something, they can text me the questions and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm bit like, oh, another text, another text, another text, right? Here, this is everything you need. Or I have my house very organized, like my pantry. Like this is these sections you can pretty much figure it out if you have a brain. So it's like, okay, like, oh, these are the kids' snacks. Oh, everything up here, they probably shouldn't have because it's hidden behind like a cube. It's labeled and they don't know how to read yet because they're young. So it's like, they can't get there. Like just make a, like, you know, common sense decisions, right. but it's there. Um, so it frees mom up to do what she needs to do. So it's not taking extra time. So then she can really spend the time that she wants to do with her kids and stuff without being aggravated. So it's just a, like another tool. And so now your podcast chaos and cookies is shifting. It was parenting, but now it's really for everybody, right? You're like, um, it's for productivity. It's like systems for working mom, mainly moms, mompreneurs, um, working moms, uh, even just a uh, mindset for, for business owners, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a little bit of everything that you can apply to life and to business. Well, after hearing your story, it's like everybody go listen to <laughs> chaos and cookies because boy, you've definitely had a lot of, a lot of chaos there, but you know, um, I, and I know your Instagram and your TikTok is just so much fun. And so anybody that Humor. wants to, you know, it's all about humor. You know, my Rene with in my logo, this little logo is winky. That's I, how I represent God is love with an awesome sense of humor. And, you know, that especially when we're dealing with, you know, the different, uh, you know, the, the, the trials and tribulations that we, you know, that are put upon us. But when we can look at him as more as in a weird way, blessings, or they ended up being our greatest gift because whether it was for us to learn compassion for others or whatever it is, you know, that's why I believe we have these, you know, why, why we're choosing to, to be speaking openly about what it is that we've gone through. Like, I mean, for myself, I try not to hold anything back because I never know what it's going to be for somebody listening because we never know who's actually listening. And that's, that's really the power of the, the, uh, the podcasting space. So I just feel so like blessed and honored to know you. And I, you know, I, I, as we both love Michelle Abraham, give a shout out again, amplify you, you got a amplify podcast you. and yeah, we, we, I mean, it's just incredible. So I just, I'm just so happy we were able to have this conversation that we had no idea where it was going to go, but um, how can people connect with you on, you know, on all the different levels, you know, for the Instagram coaching, you know, where, what's the best way for them to connect with you? 
Yeah. So, um, I'm on Instagram at Heather Steinker, like my name. And I also have another that's at chaos and cookies. It's with an N, um, without the A and D and the, and, um, you can go follow me there. I do a lot of reels. I teach a lot. I do a lot of humor. Um, it's also just to lighten the load. It gets people, you know, people want to laugh too. And, um, set yourself your, apart. your social media is very funny. Like you, I'm like, how are you this creative and everything that you do? I, I'm still trying to figure out like, who is a superwoman? Like, how can she do all of this? <laughs> I get that question quite a bit. And I just, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, I mean, but you know, it's always, you know, there's still craziness and it's like, you have to pick and choose, but it's super fun. Um, now I feel like I always have to over deliver. Cause it's like, how can I make it funnier and funnier? Uh, but I just try to be myself because I didn't really get to do that growing up because I was just always so busy um, being a people pleaser. So it's really kind of nice to have that platform and to grow into yourself um, and kids will do that to you too. Uh, So if you guys want to have a good laugh or just get anything like some really good quick tips um, it's that's where I'm on Instagram. And then I'm on um, Facebook at Heather Stanker as well. And then I have a website, uh, chaosandcookies.com and then my podcast is the same so if you guys want to head over um this is so fun i'm very excited to have been asked to be here and we've gotten to connect and you know i, I got know, to learn a lot was, this was so much fun I, I i definitely i i think we came up with a lot of myronies mostly between you and i like oh gosh geez, yes like, what are what are the odds right but that's that's what you know that's actually and maybe you can start helping share this on your social media because myrony is the opposite of selfie. It's sharing these stories that then we can connect with other people. And it's like, oh my God, that happened to me too. So like when something really funny happens, it'd be like, that's myrony. You know, it's myrony is, is another more modern day word for synchronicity. But I say it's synchronicity in motion. You see that sign, but then there's an action we can take. And maybe that action is just telling the story and then somebody else is seeing it. They're like, oh my God, that similar thing happened to me. Or maybe that exact same thing happened to me. And it's just a new way we can connect through social media. So I'm encouraging people to share their myronies in addition to their selfies on social media. Because I think that would be a fun way of, uh, of connecting with others too. So maybe you can help me with that, Heather, also. <laughs> I sure will. Absolutely. 100%. This was so fun. And it was um, the one of the most like the deepest and longest ones I've done, which has been just so refreshing and nice. So it's really, you know, it was well, a lot of fun. It, it was so much fun. I know we did go into it, but I, I really believe that the story that you shared was so important and, you know, and, and connecting our myronies on pain, because that's what, it, you know, people, I mean, it's great to hear the good things in life, but it's through our ugly stories. That is how people connect. And so I, I thank you for being so, you know, sharing so openly. I love the story of how you met your husband. That's, <laughs> that you, you may not have realized, but it's a pretty good irony there. So, so thanks again, Heather. And to the listeners, I'll see you next time. Thank you. Wasn't that a really cool interview? Um, I love the fact that we never know what the myronies are that's going to bring us together. And my myrony connected to Heather about chronic pain. I hope that those that heard that, you know, if you're going through that also, just know you're not alone. We're always here as support. You can reach out to Heather or myself, you know, on our social media. And I also want to share, you know, I don't get to share it too, too much, but um, I'm, I'm a, as an intuitive, I'm an intuitive mentor. 
where for if you're going through a lot of things, especially chronic pain and trying to understand why you're going through it, but you're also spiritually curious, uh, please check out, schedule a time, let's have a conversation. Go to thatsmyrony.com slash my dash myrony dash mentoring, schedule a time and we can do a mini intuitive soul session. So if that sounds like fun, I hope that you join and thanks again for listening and I'll see you next time. Thank you all for joining me on That's Myrony Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the Myronic stories shared today and possibly got you to connect to the Myronies in your own life. As you listen to this podcast, you'll start catching signs that are so subtle, but can have the biggest impact on your life. So pay attention to that inner voice and watch the Myronies appear in your life, just like the guest in my next episode. And please connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and that's myrony.com where you can share your unbelievable Myronies. Also, if you enjoyed what you heard and can take a moment to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting platform, it would mean so much because that is how others are able to find this podcast. Finally, please also tell your friends and family about Myrony because wouldn't it be fun to see people share their Myronies on social media in addition to their selfies? And remember, if something happens that makes you say, well, that's ironic, it's not ironic at all. It's Myronic. Now that's Myrony. See you next time.